0: Welcome into episode 200 of Play-By-Play Cast. It is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters and hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster, a professional development podcast where we dive into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparation of some of the best play-by-play and today color analysts in the business. Our guest for episode 200 is Megan McEwen, who I've never met before in my life.
1: <laughs> never ever met, first off. That was a great intro.
0: Thank you. I've I've done it 200 times.
1: No, I mean, you can tell you've done it 200 (laughs) times. And as the people, I'm sure we will get into this. I probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. So for that, we have you to thank, Joel Gaudet.
0: You would have found it, found it somewhere along the line. It just happened to fall in place that way. Um, Megan McEwen is of the Big Ten Network chiefly, but uh, you'll see her on television in a lot of different roles uh, that we'll get into, mostly as an analyst doing some hosting as well. um, And somebody that started from a color analyst role as uh, a color broadcaster with Ball State women's basketball (laughs) some six years ago. Um, this is the first podcast, take this for what you will, I think, in the history of this show, though, that I've done zero preparation for. So <laughs> I, I just kind of came into it and I was like, I feel like we could talk for a little while.
1: <laughs> there we go. Um, Plus, for the best.
0: <laughs> Megan, give me kind of the backstory or give people at home the backstory of how you got to where you are for the role that you have, because you started coming out of college as a television sports on news reporter and morphed into what you are now. Um, how did that process and transition happen?
1: Goodness, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, no, I will try to be as concise as possible, but uh, coming out of college, I graduated from Northwestern in 2014 and wanted to be a sports broadcaster. My dream was to be like Aaron Andrews and sideline report on college game day. Uh, that was That was the goal. Uh, so my first job out of college, I had really great mentors who told me, go to local news because you'd rather mass- mess up in front of 60,000 people instead of 600,000 people. And so my first job was in Terre Haute, Indiana at the local CBS Fox affiliate WTHI, uh, where I was the weekend sports anchor. I worked 18 hour days on the weekends. I would wake up, go shoot cross country, uh, tennis, soccer base, you name it. Every high school sport there was, I was your girl driving around with this massive camera, lugging it around, shooting for myself. Then I'd run back to the station, produce my own show, edit all the video, write all my scripts, um, name it all. And then I'd go anchor it uh, and do it all again the next day. So it was a very, it was hard. It's the hardest I worked probably in my career at this point. Uh, And I was fortunate from the standpoint that I got an opportunity to grind it out and learn every single role in local news. So I'm very grateful that they they gave me that opportunity. And then 18 months later, I was hired by Wish TV in Indianapolis, which was awesome Uh, working for AC Anthony Calhoun, who I'm still very close with to this day and Ross Bowen, our producer there. So um, working in Indy was great because I didn't have to necessarily produce and shoot as much as I did in Terre Haute so it was more so I could focus on being on air and my writing with my scripts um and getting that real life experience covering Andrew Luck's last 3 years in the NFL and the Indy 500 and the Pacers and IU Purdue football basketball you name it that was a great experience for me uh and after almost 4 years at wish it came to a point where I'd been in local news I don't know, for about five and a half, six years. And I had kind of done everything that I could possibly do there um, and just was ready for that next step. I knew I didn't want to do local news anymore. I wanted to get more into the game side of things. And so I I took a really big leap of faith. And um, in June, July of 2019, I left Indianapolis with no job. And I moved back in with my parents in Chicago. And it was a low point for me, no job. Um, I was going through some personal things at the time that I had to work through, Um, just like very much like lost as a person and really trying to figure out who I was and my identity. Um, And I would say from August of 2019 through March of 2020, I just worked my ass off freelancing, living home with my parents. I would drive Joel Godet gave me opportunities at Ball State. I would drive five hours from Chicago, north side of Chicago to um, Muncie, Indiana, to do sideline reporting for football radio, um, call basketball games. You name it. Joel was so you were so instrumental in, in getting me reps and opportunities and just being a friend and encouraging me through that process. And then um, I got a phone call from David Seisler at ESPN in March of 2020. He said, we want to like give you two games to sideline for men's hoops for champ week coming up, the NEC title game and the American East title game. I was like, awesome. So I flew to Pittsburgh, my NEC sideline reporting debut of Robert Morris for St. Francis. Never forget it. Robert Morris won. They're going to the NCAA tournament. I land from Pittsburgh in Chicago. I'm starting to prep for my America East title game um, and COVID hit and the world shut down. And I was like, wow, I went out on top. I peaked. I got the sideline report on ESPN here we go. Didn't have a job then as COVID hit, you know, like many people, um, for eight months, I got a job as Pilates instructor, lived at home still, um, you know, kind of trying to figure out what my next life step was. And then
0: I've taken the Pilates class, by the way, it was very good.
1: (laughs) I forgot you did take it. Yeah. Um, that was, you know, that was a time, but also was fortunate to have like really great mentors, like Lisa Byington, who helped get me involved with the Chicago Sky, and they were in the wobble for COVID and their color analyst left with about like six games left in the season. And that provided me the opportunity to sneak in there and call Chicago sky games. So I got to call the last six games of the season or so that were in the wobble. Um, And then again, that was like September didn't do anything for another six or eight weeks. And then got an email from big 10 network. Sue Marriott saying you're in Chicago. It looks like we're going to have a season. Um, how about we have you call a couple of games this year just to try it out and see how it goes? And what started out as three games turned into twenty five uh, my first year. And so I was really fortunate. I will always forever be grateful for to Big Ten Network for giving me a chance. um and then yeah, became the Chicago Sky full-time analyst um after that, and it kind of blossomed into me um really coming into that color commentator role that I love so much. then was fortunate enough Big Ten Network has since expanded my role to, Sideline reporting, football, hosting in studio when I lived in Chicago, um, and being one of our main women's basketball analysts for uh, the Big Ten. So that part's been awesome. And now I work. I work for every single network now. I I currently do where I have, and it's um it's been a wild ride. But I think if you're still listening by the from when I started to now, um, good for you. But I think it just goes to show you, you start out thinking things are going to go one way, and they go the complete opposite way, and you really have to just stick out the ebbs and flows of things because you're going to have really great days and really bad days but if you can just keep your eye on the prize things seem to work out
0: um how did you learn obviously you're really good at being on television you've done the local news thing um don't make that face i texted you after the first game that we did and i was like just so you know i don't know if you remember this i was like just so you know you're gonna be really good at this um (laughs)
1: I do remember uh, that it was very encouraging to hear because I was, I, it was at a time in my life and like in my career I was so lost and I believe,
0: like, I, I believe the wording was "you're a fucking star."
1: Uh. <laughs> you did, you know what? It's funny, Joel. It was like my family, you, and Joe Montgomery were like the three people who <laughs> believed in me, and we're like, "You're gonna make it. You're gonna be okay." And like that was it.
0: You're welcome. Very <laughs> key at the time. A very small part. Um, how did you learn to go from that? to being an analyst? Cause it's obviously a much different role. Um, what was the biggest hurdle for you in terms of learning to, to, to do games?
1: Being an analyst is really cool. I would say the, the biggest difference, first and foremost, like Jill Montgomery, uh, who Jill, I know you've worked with and um, who I work with for leaf. She really taught me how to do it from the standpoint of like, okay, mechanics, like this is what you do. This is what you say. This is how you need to approach this. Um, And I certainly like would not be where I am without her guidance on things. Um, But I would say, like, learning how to be more of yourself in an analyst role versus on air as a reporter, you're really polished. And like, yes, you still need to articulate well in the analyst chair but also you're there to provide your expertise with a little pizzazz and personality. And, um, you're allowed to be a little more authentic in that role. Like I'm allowed to be more of like Megan McEwen versus being a reporter. If that makes sense. hundred percent. Analyst seed.
0: How did you figure out what type of analyst you wanted to be? And I, I, from the play-by-play standpoint, it's always interesting when you work with new people, cause it's like, all right, how do they want to talk? What do they want to talk about? Right. Um, are they willing to have fun? Do they want to be completely focused on X's and O's? How in-depth do they want to get on X's and O's? Um, how did you figure that out?
1: I think it took time in trying to figure out, like, who I was as a person, really. So for me, like, I I have a lot of personality. I like to have fun. Um, I'm very corny. I, my favorite analyst in the game is Bill Raffery. Like, I love Raft. He's the best. And so I like, kind of watching him, not necessarily trying to emulate him, but kind of some of that like corniness that he leans into. I, I really like to try to apply to what I do. Um, and then of course, you know, I grew up in a basketball family. Like I played college basketball for four years and my dad's um, a women's college basketball coach. So This is all I know. My husband's a college basketball coach. So I'm surrounded by college basketball coaches at all times. My best friend's a college basketball coach. So, um, leaning into that knowledge as well. And kind of, you know, being able to find a balance of how can I come across as, um, and provide an entertaining experience for those who really know the game. And for those who really don't know anything about the game, where can we meet in the middle and find, you know, some good balance with that.
0: What is the hardest thing for you in terms of being able to explain basketball quickly? Um, and efficiently to people that don't know
1: the hardest thing is trying to uh, oh that's a great question how do I want to answer this (laughs) I think it's trying to find like the most important part of a play and for example like I see the game a little differently um I see it from like a bit of a coaching perspective, just because of my background and who I watch a lot of basketball with, where like maybe it's not the scorer that had the biggest impact on the play. Maybe it was the person who set the screen or the rebounder or the pass or whatever. So trying to yes, I like to point out the not so obvious things. You know, I think it's easy for anyone to be like, oh, that person made a shot. Caitlin Clark, created making shots. Awesome. But Hannah Stolke may have set that play up for her because of her ability to screen and how dominant she's been in the paint lately, scouting reports are not having to throw two people at her and it's giving more room for other people to operate. So I think trying to find like the little detail that you're at the bar with your friends and you can say to them, they'll be like, oh, you really know what you're talking about. I want to help try to make people the smartest in the room.
0: Um, how do you do that? while not talking over their heads or down to them like how do you find that middle ground
1: I think I try to pretend like I'm watching the game like with my mom and my grandma now my mom has like elite basketball knowledge really both of them do but trying just to be as conversational with as my possible. mom
0: yeah.
1: your mom <laughs> yeah. your trying to you know be as conversational as possible and like Yeah, it's really nothing frustrates me more than when I'm watching TV or watching a game. Maybe it's a sport I don't necessarily know as well from an ex's and his perspective. And when the analyst is talking at such an elite level, I'm like, great, congratulations. You know everything about this sport, but give me something to learn. And so I just try really hard. Uh, I don't necessarily consider myself like, I don't think I'm the smartest person in the room ever. Like I just kind of, you know, I'm happy to be there. And so I think having that attitude when you go into broadcast and just talking about a game you love with some passion and authenticity, it's natural for people to pick up on that and tune in and pick up a couple of things.
0: Um, let me ask you about the coaching background of your family in how it pertains to what you do. Because I have to imagine you've had conversations at some point with your dad when getting into media where you're like, dad, what do you, what? what makes your life easier? Or like, what do you hate when people ask you? Um, so what have you learned about how coaches interact with the media and how's that made you better?
1: The funniest thing about oh, and I've learned so much over the course of like this the last four years with Caitlin Clark regarding how other coaches want to handle media. Coaches want to focus and talk about their team. And so when they get media coverage that wants to focus and ask about things other than their team. And I'm not talking about the beat reporters, right? Who are there every single day and they're just, they're they're finding all the different angles, but for people who are just coming in for the first time and really want nothing to do with, with the program at all. And they just want to get a quote for their story about something completely different. uh, That frustrates, I think all, all coaches and players too. Um, But at, at the same time, I think understanding, I think a lot of people have to understand you cannot take, Coaches and players' reactions personally in a game. Like it is such a grind. They're at a high level of intensity and focus in a game. So if you ask a question, maybe they don't give you like the best response, or maybe they're, um, tone is a little harsh or whatever it's not personal it has nothing to do with you they're just trying to get to the next thing the last thing a coach or player wants to do is talk to you at halftime or really after the game they actually really don't want to talk to you but it's their job too and it does provide another level of exposure and a really cool depthness to a broadcast when you can talk to coaches and players in an interview setting uh, but you cannot take any sort of negativity personally because it's not
0: about you are there things that work for you as, like, general rules of thumb? Like, hey, I'm going into a conversation. Coach, I've maybe never met before. First time I have him this year. Um, what are things that help you prep most efficiently when you sit down in that time?
1: Just that alone. Preparation. You have to go into these conversations with coaches, like, knowing what has gone on in the last couple of games. I like to – my favorite question is how you, I really – um, I ask a lot of coaches, especially ones that I haven't um, called a game for maybe that year. I always love asking, like, who's the biggest X factor on your team? Because that's like a question, and they're always like, oh, that's a great question. Because it's not something they get asked a lot. They get asked about the superstars a lot. But like, what about that glue person that does all of the little things? Like, coaches love glue players. Like, the, they can wax poetically for days about glue players. So, but it, you also learn a lot about, what values a coach has by hearing how they describe their X factor of a player, which I think is really important. So knowing that just knowing, I think it's really important to know like what style of offense and defense they run um, where that ranks in their conference. I also think coaching trees are important. And the number one thing I always ask coaches, how's your family doing? Because yes, this is a business. We're talking about basketball, one hundred percent. But also, there's a human side to this. And as a coach's daughter, you know, I i was in their position. I am in the position of a coach's kid. So being able to ask how, it just—I think it opens itself up to a level of personability and trust with a coach, and just kind of building a relationship. That's really important.
0: Um, how do you ask that to a coach that you don't know?
1: Um. It. I usually know background at this point, like in the women's game, like there aren't a ton that I don't know or have some little connection to, Fair. Um, but I think like anything, just like, oh, like, do you have any kids? You kind of small talk, talk to SIDs before and you can just kind of bring it up like, or maybe a lot of times kids are at practice or shoot arounds. How old are they? Who's their favorite player on the team? Whatever. You can kind of get into a conversation organically.
0: Uh, what have you asked Caitlin Clark that you've been really proud of? That's gotten you like a good non-generic answer.
1: You know she's actually great with me. I have nothing but good things to say about Caitlin. I actually called her first game on television ever, her freshman year, and I remember going. Did you that... know? <laughs> no, I right no, we had no idea. I was me and Lisa Byington, and it was the first time Iowa was on television that year, and it was COVID we had to do Zooms. And so we talked to Lisa Bluter. She's like talking about this girl, Caitlin Clark, how great she is. And then we sit down on the zoom with Caitlin and she's 18 years old in the middle of COVID. And she could not have been more poised, uh, more well-spoken her ability to communicate over again. It's a zoom. Like, I think it's really difficult to um, like pick up on social cues and whatnot over zooms. And she was so impressive and mature on the zoom. And I was like, okay, I like this girl. She's, she's going to be good. Uh, obviously did not foresee her becoming the second biggest human on earth outside of Taylor Swift, um, as we speak currently in 2024, but she just, she's a great person to talk to. She's very honest. Um, She's very much like, you know, yeah, I know at at times I turn the ball over too much or, you know, I I should have done this. Like she holds herself accountable. And I think that's very important for the great players to do. And and she does that at a high level. But she's she's fun to talk to. Um, She's a really brilliant basketball mind and somebody who sees the game in such a unique way. And I'm excited to see what she does in the future and what she does at the next level is going to be awesome.
0: Let's talk about big moments because you were also the analyst on the game in which Caitlin set the all-time women's NCAA scoring record. Um, how do you approach a moment like that as an analyst?
1: By shutting up and getting out of the way. You know, it's great. I worked with Zora Stevenson for this game. Who's become a really good friend and she's a really good play by play for NBC sports. And, um, and it's funny, she her one of her mentors is Brian Anderson, who had called LeBron's record-breaking um, shot in that in that game last year, and so he had been advising her kind of how how to handle it. And her and I rewatched that clip a couple of times. On okay, here's what we're gonna do. Just I'm like, you're gonna call it, and I'm gonna lay out because we have a fantastic atmosphere. Every single game at Carver Hawkeye has been sold out since a year ago. And there's no way the roof's not going to blow off. And for her, knowing Caitlin Clark, she was going to do it in a wild way. You just knew it. She did it in two minutes and 12 seconds on a signature step back logo right to left three. And Zora nailed the call. And I just didn't say a word. And that's kind of I think what's really important is like not making yourself the story. Like it's never about you. People are watching to watch the players, to watch the team, the coaches, whatever, but you are never the story, and you don't want to be in a position where you make yourself the story. So for me, just being able to soak up that moment myself as a massive fan of women's basketball was incredible. So, yes, I didn't speak because it would have sounded dumb on a broadcast, but also like there was nothing to say. I was speechless. It was one of the coolest moments just as like a fan appreciating what had just been done. Um, and it's one I'm going to remember forever.
0: Awesome. Um, talk to me about those relationships a little bit more, too, um, and how you've formed them with the people you've worked with. You've talked about Zora and I know Lisa Byington is a big mentor of yours as well. Um, what makes your life easier when you work with people? Um, in your job.
1: You know, I've been so fortunate to work with, I mean, incredible, great play by plays like yourself. Stop it. <laughs> Matthew Mocker is one of my dearest friends who I know you've had on this podcast before. My call, very dear friend. Sloan Martin, all these people you've had on your podcast before. Sloan's a dear friend. Zora, great friend. Lisa by- I mean, you go down the list. I think the biggest uh the Biggest key of importance when it comes to play-by-play and analysts is the relationship and chemistry you have together. And it's tough because you don't always get to work with the same person. And so that at times can be a little jarring. But I've been really fortunate to have great people who are really prepared. And what I appreciate as an analyst is working with play-by-plays who do their homework. And especially in women's basketball, you have so many different – um people, you know, for better or for worse, but they use women's basketball as a stepping stool to get to men's basketball or football. And as someone who is pretty ingrained in the women's basketball community and sport, like that frustrates me when I can tell that you're just kind of trying to use this as to check off a box on your resume and get to the next step. So I really appreciate the people who work at it, who come in with, have done their homework, who ask really good questions and who also allow me to be the expert. Um, you know, I've been, like I said, I've worked with so many great people. You occasionally will get someone who thinks they know more than you, which is frustrating. Um, and it's only happened honestly. And I, at this point in my career, I probably called 200 games, 250. I don't know. And I've probably worked with like maybe one or two people that came in with that attitude and it did not work out. And thankfully they never got asked back and I never had to work with them again. But ironically,
0: it, you and I have not worked again since we started. So I, people can make that. Well, that's
1: decisions. not true. It's coming up though. <laughs> we're, we're about that to be true. reunited. That is true. We are about to be reunited. So, and I can speak. Uh, it was not you <laughs> who I'm referring to, but um, there, I think it's really important, like in a play by play and analyst relationship, understanding your roles. the play by play. It you the, who, what, when, where, and I tell you the why. And those, the ones that understand that at a high level are so great to work with. And most of the people I work with are awesome.
0: I actually, I, I did this yesterday on a game that I did, and I've never thought about this before, but we we came on camera out of the under 16 uh, in a game I did yesterday. And I looked at King McClure, who was my analyst, and I said, the last thing I'm going to say is why. Um, I was like, I'm going to lead you into it. When I say why, it's yours. Um, Because I didn't want him to jump early. And I was like, let's be on the same page that like, it seems like we're having a great conversation. He just looked at me and went, okay. Um, And then we did, and it it worked great. Like it was a a really seamless on camera. Um, And in the moment, I was like, I'm glad I said that. Um, Are there things that like communication points that help you when you're developing chemistry with someone you've never worked with before that in the moment, on the air, help things flow better? Uh, I'll
1: never forget one of my friends, John Brickley, before we did an ESPN game, it was my first ever ESPN game as an analyst, called me the night before the game just to like talk, just, you know, whatever, get to know each other a little bit. And I will always be so appreciative for that because it made me so much more comfortable headed into the game. And... You know, knowing that at least we had communicated. I think over communication is way better than not communicating at all. That's always going to be key. Um, so I think anything you can set up and like, I mean, look, you're on the air, like you're a team. It's like any sort of team. You got a bond off of the air as well. And anytime I'm working, most of the play-by-plays I work with, um, like Jason Ross Jr. is another example of someone, I'm trying to think of all the people I like. I mean, I like everyone, but these are like, you know, the people I work with frequently and do a really good job. Uh, Like we, we go to dinners and lunches, pregame meals together. Like, I think it's really important to have a good relationship professionally, like off the broadcast, because when you get to the broadcast, you have to you know, you're kind of battling with each battle in a battle with each other on the same team. And it just, it takes time to work in that chemistry. And sometimes you click quicker than you do with others. But, um, I've been really fortunate to be able to establish some great relationships like off the broadcast then, um, that I've led to, I feel like some really good calls.
0: Um, what do you do when you get set up for something you don't know the answer for?
1: Oh, I fake it till I make it. <laughs> Or I pull the politician, like that's a great question. But what I want to talk about is this. <laughs> Although I'll be honest, there's not many times that I can recall that I get caught off guard by something. So that's good. And that's not because I know everything, because I there's I know what I don't know could fill the whole ocean. Um, but I think you always have to be on your feet, ready to think and adjust and go any which way. So when you get asked a question you don't know the answer to, just ignore it. Pretend like it wasn't there and go the way you want to
0: go. Um, Along those lines, similar lines, uh, do you have any favorite moments of hilarity, calamity, um, success that you've run into over the course of your career? I,
1: got, I mean, like so many. Anytime I work with Mike Hall, you just never know what he's going to say. And I always have to be ready to like, come back with something witty uh so that always makes it a lot of fun um goodness I could think of like during the my first NCAA tournament John I was wearing a green suit and John Brickley comes back and says with the 2022 Masters champion Megan McEwen like things like that where I've I've worked with some hilarious people um that I just I'm like what can I come back at them with a witty line or something so I I I don't know. I don't know if I can name like a one in particular, but there's there's been a couple. I work with some really funny people.
0: I feel like this is now a challenge. Um, Accept it.
1: You better have your (laughs) uh, game to Atlantic (laughs) City, my friend.
0: We'll we'll see how this goes. Um, Have you ever done one of your dad's games? Oh, yeah. What's it like?
1: You know what? It is. It's fine. It's like any other game because I have been really fortunate in, I can't compartmentalize in a lot of things in my life, but for some reason, when it comes to professional things, I am able to compartmentalize. And part of that is because my dad's so supportive of what I do. And he's just like, so proud, which is the best. And so he would never want to put me in a compromising role. You know, I always say this, like, I knew that I was starting to earn the trust of coaches in the Big Ten when I was put on the Northwestern Indiana game a couple years ago, and Mackenzie Holmes had been out for like a month with the knee injury, and I'm at shoot around, just a Northwestern shoot around. Like my mom's in town for the game, I'm like hanging out with my family, and Terry Moran is like Max playing tonight. Obviously, I know you won't say anything, but this she's coming back tonight. She was listed as questionable. And I didn't, I'm not going to say anything, like, I'm not going to, that's, that's the type of information. It's private and we're in a professional setting. It stays professional, but I was really honored and, and felt like I was trusted and treated seriously because I was trusted with that information. And obviously it didn't go anywhere. Uh, and Mackenzie Holmes came back and I believe kicked everyone's ass that night. Um, but,
0: and then your dad yelled at you. No, I'm kidding. Yeah,
1: no, my mom's <laughs> like, you kind of have said like, no, they, they, they jokingly give me a hard time, but they, um, they're very understanding about what I do and the importance of being professional. So, um, and it's an honor to call my dad's games. You know, my dad's one of the winningest coaches of all time in women's college basketball. So anytime I get a chance to call one of his games, it's, it's an honor.
0: And it was funny when you said your favorite analyst is Raf, I was like, that kind of reminds me of your dad a little bit too.
1: Yeah, um, a little bit of a silly thing, right?
0: Yeah, that's true. That is yeah. that is true. I forgot to connect those dots. Um,
1: Most important dots to connect.
0: <laughs> this is factual. Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to the beginning um, before we run out of time as well, because we talked about the whole journey um, and getting to where you are now, which is unbelievably successful in the world of particularly women's college basketball um, and professional basketball. Um, but the journey to get there for a lot of people is very difficult. And I think a lot of people listening to this podcast, understand that might feel that might be where that that's where they're at in their career. Um, how did you get through? And I say this somewhat knowing the answer, cause we've had many conversations, but how did you get through the time where it was, Oh my God, I don't know if I can do this and I don't think it's going to happen
1: therapy, first off, (laughs) and a really good therapist when I lived in Chicago, who got me through a lot of things. I think it's really important to be vulnerable with somebody in your circle. You know, for me, it was like, I had some really close friends. Um, you know, there were times like you were somebody I I confided in about a lot of things, um, with, with work. And, you know, like my mom is somebody who Constantly. And and now like, look, I am very fortunate. I I get to call a lot of basketball games. I get I'm going to be calling the NCAA tournament coming up here for the third straight year, which is the greatest honor of all. But I still have moments where Like a couple weeks ago, I had like a mental breakdown to my husband. Like, I don't know if I'm good enough. Like you, you do have bouts of imposter syndrome, even though from the outside, people think that you like are in this great position. Um, and it doesn't always feel that way, but I think it's okay to be a little vulnerable. It's okay to doubt yourself a little bit, but also you have to get back to work and understand that like. The people who stay in this the longest and show up the most are the ones that ultimately end up at the top. And you also have to treat everybody with respect. I think it's really easy in this business to compete with one another and go head to head with people and and talk some smack behind people's backs. And I think it's important to realize that you really don't have competition. Like you are your own brand. People view you as an individual and there's enough room for everybody at this point. With all these different streaming services coming out, there are enough games to go around for everybody. But I just think you need to help people as much as you can. Um, If you have younger people reaching out to you, I try to help as many people as I can who reach out. Although um, this is like the worst time for anyone to reach out to me. So if you're watching this podcast, please reach out in April because I will barely be in communication with my family in the month of March. (laughs) Um, But that being said, I just think it's really important to – embrace the downtimes, but also make sure you keep that positive mindset of there is light at the end of the tunnel. And you have to surround yourself with like, have a really good circle and people who are going to like pump you up and build you up because um, it's really hard to get through this without having really good people around you.
0: That's really sage advice. Is it? Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, that's about it. It's about as good as you can get. Yeah. Um I feel silly asking any more questions after that cuz it's like, well, okay, you can't go anywhere from there. You
1: probably could, I'm sure.
0: Same um <laughs> what uh what's one thing you need um to be successful on any given broadcast? And I like we talk about preparation all the time, but like beyond that, like when you sit down, um I need to have this with me. I need to have this box checked. I need this thing in front of me. Um what gets you through any, any given night?
1: Well, definitely my boards in like the simplest of terms that have like my stats and my notes on them. Even I is there
0: something funny. on the board that's most critical for you?
1: I know it's wild. I don't even look at my, I have my boards and it's how I study for a game. I never look at them in a game. Like maybe if it's a team that I'm not super familiar with doing for the first time, just to like get a flow and nap for like certain players, um, I'll, I'll look at it, but I really don't, don't glance at it. I think the biggest thing is just making sure you're having fun. That sounds so lame. I, I realize after saying that, I want to like grab the words, like, and how I met your mother and like bring them back. No, but it's right. But just like, if you're not having fun, what are you doing? Because it's not rocket science. It is not brain surgery. Like, people at home are turning on a game to escape their reality. And you are there to be respectful, obviously, to the work that coaches and players are putting out there, but also. Put on a little bit of a show. Have some fun. Like people, some half the people are going to hate what you say that sounds corny. And the other half are going to absolutely love it. So as long as you're authentic to yourself and you're having a good time, not at the end of the day. That's all that matters.
0: And if you're not having fun, you're not going to be good. Like those things go hand in hand.
1: Absolutely not. I've been really fortunate because I can truly say like anytime I'm in, and this is how I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Anytime that I'm in a broadcast, like especially as an analyst, like I have a freaking blast. I zone out of everything in my reality for two hours, whatever, and get to focus on the greatest sport in the world and um, get to talk about it with some great people and and have a blast. And hopefully somebody besides my mom is entertained by the end of it.
0: I was like, it's it's a good barometer. Like we start with mom and then go from there. Um, Moms are best. Yeah, yeah, mom. Moms, I would say moms. Moms know best, but sometimes you got to keep them in check too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Megan, uh, how do people find you? How do they track you down? If it's on social media, if it's on TV.
1: Well, TV wise, a lot of Big Ten Network, um, Peacock. As well, I've um, been really fortunate to join them as they've taken over more Big Ten games this year. Um, ESPN coming up here in March. You'll see me a little bit. And then social-wise, Mc- uh, I think I'm at McEwen underscore Wallace on X, Twitter X. I just got married. So legally, I am Wallace, but uh, professionally, I kept McEwen. So I'm just Megan McEwen on TV. And then on Instagram, at Megan McEwen because meta Facebook – won't let me change my name to Wallace anywhere on there. So just add Megan McQueen, keeping it simple.
0: I feel like there's a way, to, there has to be a way to do that.
1: I mean, like it's I've been married for six months and I'm like in customer service queues. It's been a whole thing. They really are being a pain about me changing my name on Instagram.
0: This seems like a thing that they should have a solution for. Like this is not a unique problem.
1: I don't have time for it though. Maybe I'll figure it out in April. I'm just pushing everything to April at this point.
0: Is there anything you want to broadcast outside basketball? Like once, because you get to April and it's like, all right, now I can relax a little bit, but if you could draw up a perfect world.
1: I really love the WNBA, obviously. And I really hope as time goes on over the next couple of years, I'll have more opportunities to call men's basketball games. Same sport, obviously. But uh, I was fortunate enough to call the G League showcase for ESPN right before Christmas. And that was a freaking blast. And Really hoping that, you know, to continue my work with women's basketball, obviously, but still be able to add in maybe some more men's college games, um, because I haven't had an opportunity to call a men's college game on television yet.
0: And stupid me, the WNBA is not at the same time as the college season, so that makes a full calendar. It does make a full calendar. Um, that is a a full career for Megan McEwen, who has another phone call that I have to let her go to, <laughs> because she has a full calendar. Um, Meg, thank you so much for doing this. Always good to talk thank with you. you. Oh my and, gosh! Uh, I'll see you in a few weeks. To be
1: Episode 200. Let's do it. Right. Yes. Big time.